into the fold, the family of God. And so, God, we come with grateful hearts, we come humbled, we come reverent for all that you've done for us today. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being so kind, so patient with us today. We are grateful, and we give you all of the honor, all of the glory, all the credit for everything that we, every benefit that we have in our salvation. It is all because of you. So we give that to you today. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word now, we come to receive all that you have for us. Would you speak to us today, each and every single one of us in this room? Lead us, Holy Spirit, in this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hello, I'm Linda Kinworthy. My husband Jim and I have been uh, part of Faith Church for about 17 years. And today I'll be reading um, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This, this is God's word. The thing that came to my mind about what we're grateful for, uh, I love peaches. And have you had a good peach at Dylan's all summer? No, I can't find but We were just in Colorado visiting. Uh, watching our grandkids and bought a box of Palisade peaches, eating five of those a day. Those are really good, James. Yeah. Well, hey, if I could go around this room and, and have a conversation with each one of you and uh, hear about what's going on in your life, I would, my guess is I would discover that uh, more than a few of us are dealing with hard things. There's difficult things in our lives that uh, we're, we're, we're seeking counsel, we're seeking wisdom on, and you're trying to figure out what to do and how to handle the situation. And it could be all sorts of things. It uh, could be that uh, there's a relationship at work, or maybe your new roommate at uh, college uh, is just not working out so well, and you're trying to figure out, how do I navigate this relationship? Maybe your financial life is in a bit of a mess, and you're, you're trying to figure out what, what would be wisdom in terms of getting to a better situation. Maybe your marriage is in trouble and you're trying to figure out if you're going to stay committed and work on it or if you're going to walk away. What's the right thing to do? Maybe you have questions about issues around human sexuality, gender issues, and and this is not just some theoretical thing. I mean, it's personal. It affects you. It affects a loved one. And you're trying to figure out where do I go for answers? Or there's a kind of stress in your life It's affecting your health in in a very real way. Where do you go for wisdom on how to deal with your stress and your anxiety that you're dealing with? 
life is full of these kinds of questions, right? And so seriously, where do you go for answers? Where do you go for wisdom? Is your first instinct to, to find a book, find the right podcast to, or maybe uh, five life hacks off the website about that particular area of life? Where do you go? Today we're continuing our, our sermon series on the topic formed by the scripture. We're, we're breaking from our series in Acts. We'll return to that in two weeks, right, Steve? Uh, um, so we'll, we will be coming back to that. But we've been looking at four core attributes of scripture. So, so far we've looked at the, uh, the authority of scripture. We've looked at the necessity of scripture. Next week we will look at the clarity of scripture. But today we're looking at the sufficiency of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture. The core idea when, when we say that scripture is sufficient is this. God's word tells us everything we need to know for salvation and godliness. God's word tells us everything we need to know for salvation and godliness. In other words, God's word is enough. It may not tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us what we need to know to bring us to salvation and to equip us to live a godly life. Full disclosure, uh, this topic has challenged me this week. I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. But as I have reflected on this, uh, I realize that, that uh, sometimes when I'm facing a difficult thing, trying to figure something out, I'm inclined to want to find the, the great Christian book on it or, or, or uh, read an article or, or listen to a certain podcast to address the issue. Do you relate? My hope for all of us as we think about the sufficiency of Scripture is that we would become people who let Scripture be the first and the loudest voice that addresses whatever it issue that, uh, that we're facing. And so this morning, I, I want to take some time to look at a couple passages that uh, support this idea that Scripture is sufficient, and uh, there's, there's dozens we could look at, but I want to look at a couple of those. And then I want to look at the, the psalm that Linda uh, read because it paints a picture of what an approach to Scripture might look like in light of the sufficiency of Scripture. And so uh, let's look at a couple passages that, that argue for the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture tells us, first of all, everything we need to know for salvation. Two weeks ago, Steve taught on 2 Timothy 3 and uh, used that to talk about the authority of Scripture. It's uh, Obviously, the, it's the best passage to argue for sufficiency of Scripture. So I want to return to that and, and read it and, and make a couple of, of comments on it. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Paul writes in Romans 1 that uh, God has revealed himself to all, right? I mean, there's, there's general revelation. Gen he's revealed himself through creation. But general revelation is insufficient to discern how we find salvation. What is sufficient is what God has revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. It was Scripture that gave Timothy wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says that salvation is found through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, scripture teaches that salvation is only found 
in Jesus based on his redemptive work. And so how does anyone learn about that? How does anyone discover what Jesus has done for us? How do we discover uh, Jesus' sufficient work for us? Well, it's through the pages of Scripture. It is sufficient. It is fully sufficient to describe that. It tells us everything we need to know. We don't need another source. We don't need a, another expert. We don't need any kind of uh, you know, church tradition to explain it to us. It is in the Scripture. And so if you're on a quest to know God, to figure out who God is, read the Bible. If you're trying to figure out who is Jesus and what he's done for you, read the Bible. If you're trying to figure out what is salvation, what does it mean, and how does a person find it, read the scriptures. There's no other source that we need to go to to understand salvation. No other writing, uh, no other church authority. God's word tells us everything we need to know for salvation. If you are on that quest, my encouragement would be to start in the New Testament. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament, and in the New Testament, it starts with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John would be an amazing place to just start reading and ask God to show you what is salvation, who is he, who is Jesus Christ, because God's word tells us everything we need to know for salvation. God's word also tells us everything we need to know for godliness. God's word tells us everything we need to know to live a life that's pleasing to God. Paul continues in 2 Timothy 3, and he says, All scripture is inspired by God, and it's beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. And so Paul says through the, the scripture's teaching, rebuking, correcting, training work in our lives, makes a person fully capable, fully equipped for every good work. Teaches us everything we need to know to live a godly life. There's not one aspect of living out a godly life that you will miss if you just will simply read the scripture and follow its teaching. It tells us everything we need to know to live a life that's pleasing to him. I've listed a couple other passages in your, your outline in the bulletin that you can check out on your own, but we've been encouraging all of us to spend time in, in Psalm 119. And so I did want to mention one verse uh, out of Psalm 119 that makes the very same point. It's the very first verse in Psalm 119, and it says this. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose way is godly, Right? Blessed is that one who walk, who's blameless, who walk in the way, uh, in the law of the Lord. So whose life is blameless, whose life is godly? The, the second line explains the first. The one who is godly is the one who will walk in the law of the Lord. Everything we need to know about a, a life, a way that pleases God, we find in the pages of Scripture. Again, there's no other source we need to go to. There's nothing else we need to, to, to discover outside of God's word. To, to discern what it looks like to live a godly life. Scripture tells us everything we need to know for salvation and for godliness is sufficient for these things. And since this is true then, what, what, what does this mean for our approach to Scripture? What does it mean for how we engage the Scripture? And again, there's a lot of places that we could look. I mean, our, hopefully you're seeing that as you're reading through Psalm 119. It is all about an approach to Scripture, right? 
But uh, I want to look at uh, the passage again, Psalm uh, 1 that, that Linda read. It talks about approach to Scripture in light of sufficiency. Psalm 1 talks about two ways that a, a person can fo- follow, right? There's a way that leads to blessing, and there's a way that leads to destruction. There's a way that leads to stability and security and prosperity, and there's a way of insecurity, instability. And the thing that determines our way is what we do with God's word, how we approach God's word. And so let me read this again and and offer some reflections on it. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So Again, it's Psalm 119, right? What's the blessed life? And it's, this is talking about the blessed person again here. And, and blessed could be translated, oh, the happiness of. The blessed person is, is the one who, I mean, you envy their life. Blessed is that person. Happy is the person who does these things. And, and the psalmist will describe first what this person does and then what he does not do. Or first he describes what he doesn't do. Then he describes what he does do. And then he gives us a, a metaphor to help us picture the, the blessed life. And so in terms of what the blessed person does not do, he says he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Then listen to the wicked. And again, so wicked are those who are away from God. They're not orienting their lives around the things of God and the ways of God. The blessed person does not listen to the counsel of that person. They don't receive guidance from that person. And he doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't take this counsel from the the wicked and then begin to truly stand where they stand in that kind of life and that kind of approach to life and and their kind of wisdom. And he doesn't take the seat of scoffers. And and when you come to that point, there's kind of this progression, right? And, And now this person is seated with scoffers. Not only is the scoffer the wicked, but they begin to mock those who who seek to walk in the ways of God. The blessed person is not on this path. He does not follow this downward progression of listening to the wicked, to kind of the worldly counsel, to the point where he eventually is fully identified with them. What he does is a very different thing. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He delights in God's word. He desires it more than anything. And because of that, he thinks about it day and night. It's his focus. He's constantly mulling it over in his head. He ponders it every day, throughout the day. It's been said that what shapes our thinking shapes our lives. And and what is shaping this person's thinking, the blessed person's thinking, it's not the counsel of the wicked. It's not the wisdom of the world. It's God's word. He makes it his focus. That's his approach to scripture. It's more important than anything else to the blessed person. And so he gives himself to it fully. And because of that, look at the result of that kind of life. Verse 3, he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Many of you know that uh, when I went to seminary, we lived in Southern California. We were in uh, San Bernardino, which is halfway between Los Angeles and, and Palm Springs, and so we explored things in both directions, a lot more time 
towards LA, but uh, there's some pretty cool stuff out in the Palm Springs area as well. And uh, one thing that was truly amazing were these desert oases down in these, these canyons. Uh, went up to, I think my memory tells me we did it a couple different times. I don't remember the names of the places we went to, but I remember parking at a trailhead and then walking this desert path. And on that path, I mean, it's just hot, it's dry, it's rocks, it's sand, it's some little brushy, brushy kind of desert foliage, but not much. And then you come to the, the canyon and you begin to descend. And all of a sudden, it's cool and it's green and it's lush. Because there's a spring that's feeding the stream. That's why it's called Palm Springs, right? There's these, these springs. And, and it's just, it's green. It's lush, even though you're in the middle of the desert. And the trees there, there's trees down there, and they're flourishing. Though they're in the desert, they're, they're in a place where, where things do not thrive. They thrive, they flourish, because they have this connection. This, they're, they're by this water source. That's the picture of the blessed life. That's the picture of the person who will orient themselves to Scripture. This is the fruit of paying attention to God's word. The person who determines to focus on scripture, to uh, orient his or her life around scripture will be like a tree that continues to flourish even in times of drought because it's connected to life-giving streams of water. And that's what scripture is. It's life-giving streams of water. And that tree, that person will bear fruit when it's the right time. It will bear fruit in its season. His leaves do not wither. The very last line in that verse, it says, and whatever he does, now it's not talking about the tree, but it's talking about the blessed person, and whatever he does, he prospers. And, and I don't think it's talking about financial prosperity necessarily, but just prospers in life, I mean, fruitfulness and, and godliness and, and this kind of life. The natural result of a life focused on God's word is one of flourishing. It's one of being prosperous, which is, a, which is a very different thing than one whose life who is not oriented towards God's word, right? The wicked are not so. They're not like that tree that's flourishing, but they are like chaff, which the wind blows away. And uh, many of us around here grew up on farms. I mean, we've seen chaff. We know what it is. It's, it's light. It's it's, it's unsubstantial. It's worthless. It blows away. The grain remains, but the chaff blows away. That's the one. That's the wicked. That's the one who's not oriented their lives around Scripture. And so it goes on. It says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The thing that makes the difference between these two ways, between these two people, is how they treat the word, right? One listens to the counsel of the wicked. The other loves God's word and allows it to shape his mind and his life. And so regardless of what drought comes, what difficulty comes, this person, um, he or she continues to flourish and prosper because they've delighted in God's word. This is an approach that makes total sense if Scripture is sufficient, right? If Scripture tells us everything we need to know about salvation and godliness, this is the approach that makes sense, giving ourselves wholeheartedly to Scripture. 
when you face questions in life, when you face hard things, when you're going through struggles, where do you go? Where do you go for wisdom? Is it the best advice the world can give? Or is it actually God's word? Where do you go? Where do I go? Just to be clear, I don't think Psalm 1 is saying that we only go go to God's word when we have questions, when life's hard. It's talking about a way of life, right? It's it's talking about the uh, one who constantly lets the mind sort of marinate in the truths of Scripture and and therefore has a, a life that actually is formed by the Scripture. Therefore, when the hard things come, I mean, the life has been formed, the mind has been formed so there's a sense of understanding what godliness looks like, what wisdom looks like if we, when the tough stuff comes. Scripture is sufficient. God's word is enough. And since this is true, it makes all the sense in the world that we would be Psalm 1 kind of people, that we approach Scripture with diligence. My hope for, for all of us is that we would conclude that God's word is sufficient, that it tells us everything we need to know for salvation and for godliness. And as such, we would have a Psalm 1, a Psalm 119 approach to Scripture, that we would be committed to seek God through his word. I want to offer some thoughts of application, but before I do that, let me say some things I'm not saying, that, that, that we, we're not saying when we say Scripture is sufficient, okay? In, in affirming that Scripture is sufficient, uh, we are not saying that the Bible contains knowledge about every field of knowledge, right? I mean, uh, it doesn't contain knowledge about, about golf or chemical engineering or how to build a website, right? It doesn't have that kind of knowledge. But it has principles that we can bring to bear on any of those kinds of things. I'm not saying that God's word tells you the sp- specific person you are to marry or the job that you are to take. It won't tell you that, but it gives you principles and it gives you wisdom about those things. I'm not saying that we should never read what another Christian teacher is teaching on a specific topic. I'm not saying that we should never use extra biblical sources. These can be gracious gifts from God. I mean, God reveals truth in, 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 in general revelation and there's, there's things that people have learned and discovered that aren't in the Bible, but they still can benefit us. And so I'm not saying that, that there's not things that we can't gain from general revelation. And I did want to say very specifically that, that I'm not saying that, that as we're seeking to grow in godliness, that things like professional counseling has no place. Good biblical counseling that helps us put into practice biblical wisdom can be tremendously helpful. Okay? So, so please hear me. There are plenty of things that we need to know that the Bible doesn't address. So we're not saying that it's the Bible and nothing else. We're not saying that, right? That goes beyond the meaning of sufficiency of Scripture. What I am saying is that all these other sources of information and knowledge must be subordinate to God's Word. His Word is always supreme. It must always be seen as above every other area of knowledge. Um, Scripture is the main course. Scripture is the entree. All these other sources are the appetizer, right? But even that illustration breaks down because you eat the appetizer first. And I'm going to suggest we go to Scripture first. But you get the point, right? It needs to be the main thing. 
And so let me offer a couple thoughts of, of application. I think number one is be grateful that this is true of Scripture. Be grateful. I mean, we live in a time where, I mean, information, knowledge base is just exploding, right? I mean, what if we had to get our mind around all that to understand anything? What if we had to comprehend every teacher, every thought, every source, every, every resource to figure out salvation and how God wants us to live? I mean, it would be maddening, right? We don't have to do that. Scripture alone is sufficient to tell us how we find salvation and what a good life looks like, what a godly life looks like. And so be grateful for this truth. Be grateful that this is true of Scripture. There's a kind of simplicity in it. There's a kind of rest knowing that this is enough. Be grateful for what God has given to us. Second, go to God's word first for answers to life's questions. Scripture has answers. It specifically either addresses the issue that you're looking at or it, it can help you develop principles uh, and, and a kind of wisdom to think rightly about whatever that issue is, even if it doesn't directly address it. And so go to Scripture first uh, as you try to navigate issues like love or human sexuality or marriage or divorce or money or how we relate to civil government or any other issue in life that we're facing. Go to Scripture first. And finally, maybe most importantly, give yourself wholeheartedly to Scripture. Give yourself wholeheartedly to Scripture. As I've mentioned, so often our first impulse is to find what someone else has said about a particular topic, whether it's a doctrinal issue, whether it's a practical life issue. So often we want to hear what someone else says before we look at what God has said. We so quickly go to books, podcasts, sermons, any other number of places, more than we actually go to the word of God. If scripture is sufficient, um, my encouragement is that we give ourselves wholeheartedly to it, that we would be a Psalm 1 kind of person, that we make it our focus, that we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we mull it over day and night. Knowing that scripture is sufficient, let it be the thing that is truly forming how you think about things, how it's truly forming your mind and your life. Give yourself wholeheartedly to Scripture. And honestly, this is not something we do alone, right? As, our, as we gather in groups, give ourselves to Scripture. As a whole church, I mean, this is what we long for, that, that we would be a church that would give ourselves wholeheartedly to Scripture. And we help each other out in this, right? And so if, if you're giving yourself wholeheartedly to Scripture, that's sure going to help me out because it's going to help me understand God's word better. So, so, so we do this together. We do this best as we all are seeking to give ourselves wholeheartedly to Scripture. God's word is enough. It is sufficient to help us understand salvation and godliness. Today as we come to, to celebrate uh, communion, if in, uh, there are communion uh, supplies outside the door if you didn't get those on your way in. I would encourage you to grab that. But uh, during this time, my encouragement to you would be to reflect on whether you have a Psalm 1 approach to Scripture. Ask God to show you what is true. Are you giving yourself wholeheartedly to Scripture? And if not, just say, God, I need your grace. 
I need your grace to move me there. I'm not even motivated. God, would you bring me there to a place where I really will uh, go to Scripture first and I will give myself wholeheartedly to it. Talk to him about that. Maybe there's issues of apathy or patterns of going everywhere else that you just need to talk to God about and confess. God, I go here first rather than to you. Take some time in these moments to talk to him. This can also be an opportunity to just express gratefulness for what God has given us in his word. And so maybe that's what need, you need to talk to God about this time. Just, God, thank you that your word is enough. And so at faith, we invite all who have trusted in Jesus to be their savior to join us. You don't have to be a regular tender here. You don't have to be a member. If you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to join us in this uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper. Um, if you are one of those that's on a quest to try to understand God, we, we would just encourage you during this time to, to pray and invite God to, to, to reveal himself to you. Um, we are so glad that you're here seeking to discover who he is and what he's done for you. In a moment, uh, I will, uh, we'll take the bread and we'll read some scripture, and then we'll eat together, and then we'll read some scripture and drink the juice together. And uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'd like to give you just a moment to sort of talk to God. And so would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your word is exactly what we've talked about today. It is sufficient. It gives us everything we need to know to, to discern what, what salvation is, how we find salvation. It tells us everything we need to know about living a life that pleases you. Father, uh, that is true. That is what the scripture says. We pray that in this time that you would examine our hearts. God, do we seek you through the scriptures? Do we go there first? Do we truly believe that it is the, the, the first and best source to figure out these things? Father, in these moments, would you speak to us, convict us where conviction is needed, encourage us where encouragement is needed. Take a moment just to uh, talk to God now. the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we're grateful. 
for Jesus. We're thankful for his work that merited our salvation. We're thankful that through him we are forgiven, that we have life. And we're thankful that it's your word that helps us understand these things. And so God, help us to be Psalm 1 kind of people. Help us to be Psalm 119 kind of people that truly love your word, that truly delight in your word, that we go to it. Uh, God, help us to develop rhythms and patterns of, of, of a lifestyle of, of, of giving ourselves to, to your word, to meditate on it. Father, it's not always easy. Uh, sometimes we're, we're not motivated, but we pray that you would lead us and, and guide us and help us and help us be a church that truly is uh, giving ourselves wholeheartedly to your word and the wisdom that's there. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.